After I graduated college and I started my career, I went into debt immediately. I bought a full ski package and because I had money. I didn't have money when I was in college. Right. And I got in debt. And it's like, wait a minute, now what do I do? It took me six months to dig out of that hole. And I said, I'm never doing this again. And then I just started getting interested in the stock market, how to budget, how to avoid debt, how to build wealth. Um, and it enabled me to retire at a pretty early age from technology, and, and now, I'm, now I do what I'm passionate about. Yeah, I was young, and uh, in high school, college, I started a little small computer store, and so I had to learn how to budget quickly, right? You know, you have to deal with expenses and all that stuff, and I found that I fell into debt. And so it was digging out of that debt and then trying to do the same thing. It was like, I'm not going to be back in it again. And I grew up in a family where we didn't talk about that, right? We didn't talk about finances. We didn't talk about, you know, how to save or anything like that. It was just, you know, eat, live, and go do your thing. And so for me, it was as I went through the computer store and then went back to school to, for therapy and then got out of it and went into different careers in health tech and emerging tech. And now I work in the fintech space, which is building financial products uh, that are focused on getting people out of generational debt to generational wealth. And that's my passion. Hey guys, I'm so glad to be here this morning. Let me just start with that. My name is Kenny. If we've never met, and a lot of us haven't, uh, I'm part of the Central Campus team, and I'm so glad to get to be here with you today. Are we so fortunate this morning to have Hannah and Lee and all of our worship team uh, just leading us this morning? I just wanted to say thank you to God for their leadership. Thank you so much. Yeah, incredible. And uh, I wanted to start us off this morning in Scripture. So I'm going to open up real quick to, to the book of Matthew here, and I wanted to start, let's see, I'm going to, that's New Testament, I believe, We're off to a good start here, right? Thanks, guys. Um, we're going to go to Matthew 10 real quick, and in Matthew 10, we read these words from Jesus, where he says, these 12 Jesus sent out with following instructions, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your tunic or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. You know, we're in this series, uh, this series where we're talking about flourishing. And if you missed the past couple weeks, it's based greatly on this Harvard study that we took a look at that has recently come out. And it's trying to just speak to people who are um, kind of on maybe the, the backside of COVID, dealing with the political and the, the social unrest, now even a lot of economic unrest, uh, to understand what it is and then what leads to feeling like you're flourishing in life. If you've missed any of the messages so far, I encourage you to go online, check those out, along with the podcast. Thanks to Aman and Mark for the conversation that we'll get to hear this coming week. And what's fascinating is that this information from the Harvard study basically leads us back to God's wisdom told in the Bible for thousands of years. 
In fact, the Harvard professor who founded the Human Flourishing Project, he talks about four pathways of, of flourishing. He says that the four pathways are family, work, education, and religious community, all important and common, and that if efforts were made to support, improve, and promote participation in these pathways, the consequences of human flourishing would be substantial. So in this series, we've discussed flourishing relationally, physically, mentally, and today we're going to talk about flourishing financially. But I'm going to stop real quick just to say this. I'm a pastor. uh, I'm a Bible teacher. I am the last person that you would want to come to for advice on financial planning or anything like that. But before you get up... um, I just want to tell you, that's what the podcast is for this week, right? We get to hear from Amon and Mark, and we have a lot of just experts and coaches around Gateway, and I'm so grateful for that. In fact, Amon, I might need to borrow five bucks for gas to get home today. I'll hit you up right after the service. But, of course, there are many ways that we could attack this subject this morning. But I want to talk about what it might look like for us to live lives that are marked by simplicity and generosity. When you think of generosity, you probably think of someone who's kind, kind and, and willing to share and, and, and willing to give to others. We usually associate, uh, associate uh, generosity with, with finances, but it could also have to do with how much we're willing to share our time or how much we're willing to share our resources or our possessions, how much we're willing to be generous in our conversations with others. When you think of the word simplicity, What comes to mind for you? Maybe you think of something that's easy to understand or something that's uncomplicated. You might even think of Marie Kondo's invitation to ask yourself, what sparks joy? And then go through every item in your closet, right? But there's a way in which modern simplicity and minimalism has become something of a trend for the privileged. And I want you to know today that's not what we're talking about, not this morning. What I'm interested in is this practice that is deeply rooted in biblical tradition and it's perfectly modeled in the life of Jesus. So biblical simplicity is a desire to, comp- to uncomplicate our lives so that we can flourish as human beings and give our full attention to what really matters. Loving God, loving each other, and loving our neighbor. Yeah? I mean, we can just kind of end right there, right? but you're not getting off that easy this morning. So throughout church history, many other words have often been associated with simplicity, right? Words like renunciation or, or fasting or self-denial. And, and in culture, we don't really like those words as much as we like to talk about self-fulfillment and self-actualization and self-indulgence. So let me just say that the scriptures are so clear that the way to experience life, the way to really flourish and find true fulfillment is actually walking a pathway of surrender. My brothers and my sisters in in, in the recovery community are very familiar with this idea. Richard Foster has written much about simplicity. He's an author, a theologian, and interestingly, he talks about the complexity of simplicity. Simplicity is not actually easy as it turns out. If you ask any artist or writer or painter or or poet, working with limitations can actually be really difficult. But it's also an invitation to experience beauty and strength and freedom in so many ways. You know, if you know me, you know that I love the work of of, um, poet T.S. Eliot. And he spoke of Christianity this way. 
It is a condition of complete simplicity, costing nothing less than everything. Simplicity is very much a gift or a grace of God, but it gets expressed through our lifestyle. So we're going to do some exploring into some of the roots of these practices, simplicity, generosity, but by way of talking about flourishing financially. And we're going to do so by looking at the life of Jesus and some of the, imita- the invitations he gave to his followers. Why do these practices even matter, you might wonder? Well, if we're honest, we're overwhelmed much of the time. Am I alone this morning? We're inundated, right, with, with too much of everything, too many possessions, too much food, too much choices. Most of us um, live these very scattered, busy lives right now. We're racing from one thing to the next all the time. Does anybody feel exhausted this morning? Anybody feel anxious? Anybody feel fearful this morning? For many We find our identity in status or in in a title of some sort or in achievement. We we find so much of our identity in what people think about us or what they say about us. So we try to satisfy our deepest longings with material stuff, money or stuff or phones or whatever it might be. And, And there's an entire industry, of course, that exists just to keep us believing the lie that we would be better that we would be more exciting, that we would be more attractive, that, that we would be just better people and, and better to the world around us if we just had it, whatever it might be. Friends, I doubt that any of you would say consciously that the accumulation of more stuff would bring joy or purpose. I understand that this morning. And yet, in reality, it's our choices and our impulses that truly reveal where we put our trust into the noise of our lives. We hear this invitation from Jesus. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. For many of us, we chased after all these other things to satisfy our needs and our desires because we don't trust that God is good. We don't trust that God is for us. We don't trust that Jesus is enough and that he will be enough and that there will be enough to meet our needs, to meet our desires. So we take matters into our own hands, right? We try to live independent from God. I want to ask you this morning, where are you creating attachments to other things as a result of an active mistrust in God? Where are you taking the reins of control because you're scared that your needs are not going to be met? This call to simplicity of life and single-minded focus on Jesus and his kingdom is the deepest need in each of us. Uh, the, The only thing that will actually bring us lasting freedom and joy and peace. Life in Christ is the place where we truly flourish the most, even financially. So how do we get there? What does that actually look like? We're gonna look at that teaching those words that we started with this morning, because there's three things I do want us to see. So again, in Matthew 10, it says Jesus is sending out his disciples. They've been with him. They've been watching what he's been doing. They've been apprenticing and learning from him. And so now Jesus is going to send them out. 
to do ministry themselves. But this is what he says as they go. He says, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. It's interesting. One of the first things that we learn about cultivating a life of simplicity is a recognition that everything we have is a gift from God. Yeah? Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Acts 17, for in him we live and move and have our being. James 1 reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from above. See, so much of the journey of simplicity that really leads to flourishing starts with the generosity of God. Regardless of how much money anyone makes regardless of whatever financial bracket that you might find yourself in. The simple practice of gratitude is one way that we can become more awake and alert to the generous gifts of God in nature and in people, finding beauty in just the ordinary things that make up your day. Paul was apprenticing a guy named named Timothy, and he wrote this to him. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain." For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Paul's talking about the the actual wealth of contentment itself. Because as it turns out, gratitude leads to contentment in simplicity. When we believe that the earth is his and and everything in it and that everything we have is a gift that we've received from a generous and a gracious God, then we can begin to put things in their proper perspective. We will begin to feel a shift in our mindset. That's really important this morning. So we look back to the passage once again because, again, as Jesus sends out I should just stop closing my Bible, right? Um, as, he sends out, as he sends out his disciples, again, he says, Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or staff. Interesting. Jesus is inviting them to this radical dependence on God for their basic needs. He wants them to rely not on external provisions or attachments to things that they may have, but on God's provision. Jesus is saying, will you trust that God will care for you? He wanted them to experience living by faith, like Hannah talked about just a few minutes ago, not by sight. He'd already taught them these things, and now he wanted them to experience them. In fact, in, uh, in Matthew 6, They might be remembering these words from Jesus where where Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap. Sound familiar? They don't store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Jesus modeled this life of rest and radical dependency on his father. And and that is what enabled him to live simply and generously. Jesus lived with a deep spirit of trust. I like the way that Eugene Peterson writes about Matthew 6, this same passage. He writes about it in the message like this. Jesus says, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. Relax. 
Do not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. Isn't that great? I love the story where uh, Peter and John, they're, they're heading into the temple to pray one day. And there's a man sitting there who's lame and he's begging for money. Now, I think that if Peter and John had had money on them that day, they probably would have just maybe given him a coin and, and went on their way. But what scripture tells us is that Peter looks at the man and he says, look, I don't have money, but what I do have is a particular set of skills. Wait a minute, that's a different story, isn't it? Actually, what the Bible says in Acts 3.6 is that Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the man does. He's healed. I wonder how often I've missed out on seeing the miraculous simply because I've had too many things I could rely on instead. I, I want to be clear that when we talk about simplicity, it's not about the rejection of material things. That's a whole other practice. It's a whole other thing. But simplicity just puts material possessions in their proper place. God has given us good things to enjoy good things to experience and, and, and pleasure and, 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 and to celebrate. In fact, we know that Jesus loved to, to celebrate. He loved to experience pleasure with his friends and, and to celebrate, especially with food and drink. There's nothing wrong with these things and there's nothing wrong with having possessions. But what we are trying to notice is where we find undisciplined or unhealthy impulses, unhealthy mindset that, that always looks at material things and says, I have to have that now. I need that now. Gandhi said it like this. You may have occasion to possess or to use material things, but the secret of life is in never missing them. Maybe a good question to ask yourself is, could I be content with less? Richard Foster says that simplicity is the only thing that sufficiently reorients our lives so that possessions can be genuinely enjoyed without destroying us. Followers of Jesus are invited to, to let go of, of cultural values that shape our world, to intentionally detach from anything that gets in the way of us desiring or trusting God more and more in our lives. In the text, Jesus invites his followers to intentionally limit their choices when it comes to money or clothes or possessions, but there's something else going on here too. That section of Matthew 10, it ends with these words that are kind of strange. For the worker is worth his keep, Jesus says. And I've always thought that was a little weird and almost a little bit disconnected. But in digging into this a little bit more, Jesus is making it really clear that, yes, God will provide for the needs of his disciples and for the needs of all of us. But often he will do so through people that they're ministering to. This is really important. 
He's telling them to depend on the hospitality and the generosity of others. To stay in their homes, to eat at their tables, to accept their kindness and allow God to to meet your needs through them, Jesus says. But let's be honest for a minute because this is kind of hard for us, isn't it? It's kind of hard for us sometimes in our kind of a little bit more modern, a little more progressive thinking, Western world that we live in, right? Nobody wants to show up empty-handed. I don't know about you, but like when someone invites me over for a dinner party, the first question I'm asking is what? Yeah, what can I bring, right? What kind, of, what kind of wine do you guys like? Or what kind of dessert could I bring to this party or whatever? And something very, uh, very interesting about that that I think it's just good for us to grasp onto this morning. Because the virtue that roots this whole conversation today is humility. Simplicity requires the humble recognition that we are not in control, that we are not God. It means depending on God to meet all of our needs, and it also requires the humility to accept the kindness of others. I believe that flourishing has a great deal to do with us having enough humility to accept the kindness of others in our lives. Remember, Acts 20 tells us that it is better to give than receive. And I know that's kind of tricky because you're like, yeah, that's why, uh, that's why I want to bring things when people invite me over. But here's the trick. In saying to someone, no, if they want to just give you something, when someone just wants to give you a gift, maybe they've even been prompted by the Spirit of God to do so. When we say no, we're actually robbing them of that blessing. When we refuse that. Generosity fosters humility for both the one giving and the one receiving. So what would it look like? What would it look like for you to humbly name all of your needs in the context of community? Let's do that. Let's just start over here. No, just kidding. We won't do it in the room right now. But what would it look like, right, for us just to humbly start just naming our needs in community together. How might God want to provide for you through the kindness of others? And how might that be a gift to them as well? You know, somebody gifted our family a minivan one time. It was a much nicer minivan with less miles that fit a few more people as our family was growing. And I remember it was hard to receive that gift. It was really hard to receive such an an extravagant gift from somebody. But then I also found that there was this incredible opportunity that we were given, that we got to then gift the van that we had to somebody else who had just moved here from Congo and didn't have transportation for their family. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, as a single income family, I've never dreamt of a world where I'd be giving away a vehicle. But because of the generosity of God in, the, in, in, in somebody else who then became the generosity of people who gifted us a minivan, uh, my wife Jenny and I got to give away a vehicle to another family, something I never dreamed of doing. That's what I'm talking about here is that there's, there's a humility in being able to receive a gift, but also seeing that ultimately this is all about God and his generosity. Are you with me? The beautiful thing is that generosity leads to generosity. Receiving the generosity of others has made me more generous, has, has changed my wife and I in our marriage. Family, I, I, want, I want you to know that, that one of the keys to flourishing in terms of our resources 
is being able to say what we have is available to others. If you need something and I have it, I want you to have it. Why not? It all belongs to God anyway. God is the source for all that we know and all that we have. Freely we have received, so freely we give. Flourishing means asking ourselves, what are some of the ways that we can practice making our resources readily available to others? I actually think that one of the most important ones is, is tithing and, and giving. God's wisdom to the people of Israel in the, in the Hebrew scriptures or what we know as the Old Testament was first honor God by setting aside 10% to give toward the work of God and his kingdom. A lot of us are really familiar with that. And I believe that God offers this instruction as a mindset check for them and for us. It, it's a, a constant reminder to us as his people that we are God's trustees. Ultimately, what we're doing is we are just stewarding his resources. All of the things that we have will one day pass on to another. And ultimately, the only thing that will be left is our souls and God. Interestingly, tithing is not really mentioned much in the New Testament, but that's actually not because it wasn't important. It's quite the opposite, in fact. I think the reason we don't see tithing talked about as much in the New Testament is because the belief of the early church was just everything was God's. (laughs) The belief in the early church was was that Jesus was Lord over it all, not just 10%. And today, so many people often give or tithe reluctantly or begrudgingly or not at all, right? But I think that tithing and generosity is actually a celebration of God's generosity in such a faithful way that we can express our trust in God's provision and our willingness to to share with others. It's less about money. It's so much more about our hearts. Jesus told the the uber-religious of his day that, yeah, you should tithe, yeah, but do not Neglect the more important things, Jesus said, like love and justice and mercy. Why? Well, because it's a heart thing. It's not a, about dollars and cents. It's about your heart. And we think, we think about money, we should just think about the way that it shapes our souls. In fact, I love that John Burke says, money is a tool in the hands of your soul. That's all. Friends, when we talk about financial flourishing here at Gateway, we're not just talking about having more money but we're talking about more contentment. Flourishing financially is about having more peace, more life enjoyment, less worry. These are the spiritual things that money or possessions can never give you, but God can and will. And think of the power that we have to do good in the world together. If you're new to our community this morning, first of all, welcome. We are so, so glad that you're here. But I would want you to know about so many of the good things that we've done because we've done it together over the years. I, I, I'd want you to know about a, a hospital that was built 
in India. I'd want you to know about, about places that have had uh, wells dug in their, where, that have fresh water. I want you to know about some places where, in, where Haitian villages, where systemic poverty issues have, have been realigned and are moving in a completely different direction now. I want you to know about places that we've helped start and support it over the years, refugee churches and, 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 um, and, and a clinic for refugee services and so many things that we've had the chance to be a small part of. Why? Because of God's generosity and because he's put something in our hearts that makes us want to be generous together. And together we have done incredible things. And I want you to know this is not bragging about what Gateway has done. It's about celebrating the generosity of God and what, what he's accomplished in and through our hearts. So many of us together in this community. So, as I invite our band to come back up this morning, I hope this has been an encouragement to you. I really do. But I also do know that anytime we talk about anything having to do with finances and our resources and stuff, this conversation may feel a little bit overwhelming for some of you as well. Because I know there are people here this morning who are like, yeah, this is a great talk, bro, but like, you don't understand like the debt that we're in right now and, and what it feels like to have the water up to here all the time. No, actually, I do. I wish as a pastor I didn't know what that was like, but I really do know exactly what that's like. And that's why I'm so excited that we have Amon, that we have Mark, that we have incredible people willing to offer some wisdom, some, some coaching. We have FPU. I want to encourage you this morning that maybe uh, the, the, your best next step is just to go today, to listen to that, that podcast while you're driving home or, or while you're sitting with your neighbor or a family member today and, and take in some really practical learnings from people who are way better at this than I am. Maybe your next best step is to go to gatewaychurch.com heal and check out the resources we have, classes that we have, places that you can jump in and, and step into restorative, like restorative ministries or recovery or, or FPU classes, whatever it might be. That's what's great about being part of this big community together. Today, my friends, is really just an invitation to consider what it would look like for us to live lives that are marked by simplicity and generosity, that, that we may experience more contentment, more peace, less worry, that we may flourish every day. And I remind you in closing this morning that although that's kind of my invitation to you, the invitation to all of us this morning as we reflect on these things is actually from Jesus who says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my way, my teaching is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, this is the kingdom of God. It's what it's like to be a son or a daughter of God. Thanks for letting me share with you this morning. Appreciate you. Thanks.